Take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 35. Last week we were in the earlier part of Exodus. Today we're going to look at the back part. And just a reminder that we are in a series that we're calling Be Rich. And uh, we call Be Rich because of a passage that comes out of 1 Timothy um, that says this, Instruct those who are rich in the present age, not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. And we mentioned this last week, but part of the reason we talk about this is many of us when we read this passage, we automatically think, great, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not rich. And yet according to world living standards, most of us in this room, not necessarily all of us, and definitely not everyone that lives around us, but most of us in this room are considered or are in the top 1% of household incomes in the world. And according to those people, that would be the 99%. We're rich. And when it comes to what Christians have had throughout history, we are one of the wealthiest for sure, on average, set of Christians that have ever lived. And so if there are instructions to be rich in this present age, not to put our hope on the uncertainty of wealth, we never know what money's going to do. Amen? Amen? We never know what the market's going to do, what inflation's going to do, what week to week you can't predict. Nobody could have predicted two and a half years ago what would be going through now or how we had rebounded or now or what do you call it when you rebound and then debound. Is that debound? I don't know what that is. We're up and down, right? It's just up and down. So nobody can predict that. So don't put your hope in that. Put it in God. But then it tells us that the way we ought to live is to instruct us to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that what they may take hold of, what is truly life. And so what they say is, be rich in our giving, in our good works, in our generosity, in our willingness to share. And so every few months, every year or so, we set aside some time to talk about what it looks like to be rich in the Lord. To be rich in good works, to be rich in being generous and willing to share, and what it means to store up treasures in the place where it will not rust or be destroyed. And this year, we're focusing last week and this week on Exodus. We'll look at another Old Testament passage next week, because a lot of times we don't look at Old Testament passage when it comes to giving, but it's there. And we're in Exodus chapter 35. Just a quick reminder that Exodus 35 is the story of God redeeming his people, bringing his people out of slavery in Egypt. And when you get to Exodus 35, a lot has happened since then. The parting of the Red Sea, the giving of the law. We'll talk in a little bit the worship of a golden calf um, by the Israelites. Lots has happened in the midst of that. And we find in Exodus chapter 35 an interesting decision on the part of Moses because of the direction of God and how the people responded. One of the messages of the Old Testament and one of the messages that we find in Exodus 35 and in the entirety of the Bible really is this message. That those who find themselves freed must look towards or have a responsibility to those who are still in captivity. So those who have been freed have a responsibility for those in captivity. And what's going to happen in Exodus 35 is he's not going to talk about the tithe. He's going to talk about extra giving and the extra giving to be a witness to the people and the nations around them. 
Because God is still concerned, even in this moment, as he's building a nation for himself, for those that are outside of the nation. And those who find freedom have a responsibility to help those in captivity. I read again this week just a, a biographic sketch of a great lady, Harriet Tubman, who was a slave who escaped in 1849, made her way from Dorchester, Maryland, to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, by foot around 150 miles. And as remarkable it is, For a woman during that time in 1849 to escape slavery and to make her way 150 miles on foot, the reason we still talk about Harriet Tubman is not because she escaped slavery only. We talk about Harriet Tubman because she decided that she had a husband and friends who were still in slavery that she loved and was desperate to get them out. And so she made a trip back into slave territory to free her husbands and her friends. And she went back into slave territory again and again and again. Thirteen times she went back risking her life, her freedom, risking everything she had. She helped develop and build the Underground Railroad. She was called Moses because of her freeing her people, but she understood this biblical responsibility that those who have been freed have a responsibility to those who are still in captivity. What we have to realize as followers of Jesus Christ is that when we are saved by Jesus, that is not an invitation to relax or to rest. That a calling from God on our lives to salvation, when we accept that salvation, that is not the end of our time here. And woo, now we can just coast to the finish line, and when we get done, God will take us to heaven. The call to salvation is a call once we have accepted that salvation to those who are still in captivity. It's an opportunity to risk our life, our reputation, our health, our prestige, our finances, all for the glory of God, and to be willing to give up anything we have to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Exodus 35 is an example of God putting forth before the people a vision of something that was necessary for them to move forward as a nation and to have a place where he could meet with them. Exodus 35, starting in verse 1. We're going to kind of skip around. i tell you on the front end, we're going to read verses 1 through 5 or portions of that. And then we're going to jump to verses 20 and 22. And then actually even into chapter 36, verses 5 through 7. This is all the units, all instructions, but we're going to read those sections. It says that Moses assembled the entire Israelite community and said to them. Now, just so you know, that is a massive group. We're not sure exactly of numbers, but a million would not be surprising at this moment. So when you gather that, it is a massive group of people. 
And he says, these are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but on the seventh day you are to have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest of the Lord. So this had already been shared with him in Exodus chapter 20, but he's reiterating that, hey, don't forget that the Lord has called you to a Sabbath. There's a principle there, and he's going to call them to give out of an understanding of a Sabbath. Now, part of the reason for a Sabbath is for rest. But part of the reason, when you look into the history of what a Sabbath is, of what rest is, that part of the reasoning behind that is that Sabbath causes us to trust. That when we take a break or a, a from our labors, when we stop working for a time period, and you have to think of an uh, agricultural society where they were worried about crops and all of that. And so you let your crops go for a day and didn't tend to them at all. You let your livestock go for a day, didn't tend to them at all. You are going to take a day of rest. You are trusting in the Lord. It's a mini Sabbath every night when we sleep, right? You have no control over what's happening in your world when you go to sleep. None. And so the Sabbath day is that day of trusting. And what we're going to see in a moment is the Lord's going to say, you can trust me with everything you have. He goes on to say after that, a couple of verses later, then Moses said to the entire Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take up an offering among you for the Lord. Goes on to say this, let everyone whose heart is willing bring this as the Lord's offering, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen, and goat hair, ram skins dyed red and fine leather, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and the fragrance incense, and onyx with gemstones to mount on the ephod and the breastplate. Now, some of that stuff doesn't make sense for what it's for for us necessarily, unless you've studied scripture, but They are beginning to take up an offering because the Lord has called them to build a tabernacle. A tabernacle which was the place where God would meet with man and his manifest presence would be on the earth. This. Then the entire Israelite community left Moses' presence. Everyone whose heart was moved and whose spirit prompted him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its services, and for the holy garments. For everything involved, they came and raised it all together. It goes on to say this. Both men and women came, all who had willing hearts, brought brooches, earrings, rings, necklaces, and all kinds of gold jewelry. Everyone who presented a presentation, offering of gold to the Lord. 5 and 7 of chapter 36, it says, Then all the artisans who were doing all the work for the sanctuary, so they brought all the stuff, the people that are there, the contractors and the subcontractors and the people that are working, come one by one from the work they were doing and said to Moses, this is something I have never said in my 20 years of pastoring. The people are bringing more than is needed. For the construction of the work of the Lord commanded to be done. Moses then says, after Moses gave an order, they sent a proclamation throughout the camp. Let no man or woman make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. Y'all quit giving. I'd love to have to do that one day. Right? Amen? That'd be great. It's like, listen, y'all have done too much. Quit. We're not taking an offering for two weeks because... 
Y'all have brought too much. Now, we'll talk about the difference between the normal offering and this offering in a moment. So the people stopped. The materials were sufficient for them to do all the work. There was more than enough. Three things out of this passage are important to us as we think about living lives that are rich unto the Lord. And the first thing in this passage that we see is that we always give a portion and sometimes we give a sacrifice. You see, last week we talked about earlier in Exodus when God gives this command. And the basic command was this, that on a regular, ongoing basis, you are to give a portion of what God has given to you back unto him. You are to bring, as the actual word that is used, portion of what God gave to you back to him. There's no debate about it. There's nothing in there about, hey, if you think about it or if, if it lays on your heart to do this, it is simply this. If you are a follower of God, if you're part of this nation of Israel today, if you're part of God's family, part of the church, I don't mean First Baptist Goodlesville, I mean the church, the church of God that is universal. If you are part of God's people, God's family, then on a regular basis you are to return to the Lord a portion of what you have been given by the Lord. It's not something to think about or pray about or seek the Lord about. It's not something that you have to debate with someone about whether or not this is something that the Lord has in his will for you. Someone has said, why do we why don't we spend so much time wondering about the Lord's will about things when he's already given us a verse? There are things in our lives that sometimes people wonder, what is God's will for me? If we would just obey what the scripture commands us to do already, we would have plenty of doing what the Lord's will is for our lives. But this particular offering in chapter 35 is different. This is not the regular, ongoing, no debate about it, portion or tithe or 10% or 15%, whatever that is that's happening in your life, whatever it is that God is giving, you are giving back to the Lord, back to his work, back to what God has done as a return for what he has already given to you. This is different. And in the verses, it shows itself to be different. For one thing, it shows that it's not required. Verse 5, it says, let everyone whose heart is willing bring this. So if this is something that the Lord is laid on your heart and your heart is willing, don't do it if you're not a willing giver. Verse 20, it says they left the presence and everyone whose heart was moved and whom the Spirit prompted brought back the offering. So this isn't the normal, every week, all the time, regular giving of the church. Of God's people, of the Israelites. This is something different. This is above that. It is beyond that. And so as we talk about this special kind of offering through the rest of this passage, I want us to understand and realize this is not in place of or part of the regular ongoing giving that God has called us to as individuals who are followers of Jesus Christ. This is above and beyond. We always give a portion. Sometimes we give a sacrifice. Now, we, we follow those kind of dynamics in our church. There have been times in our church when we've asked for offerings above and beyond the normal tithe. Not your tithe, but something above that. Not, not your regular giving, but something above that. 
We do it twice a year on a regular basis in extravagant giving. We do one in December. We talked about last week, over $40,000 given to the extravagant offering that all went to missions outside of the church, not part of our budget, not part of our operating expenses. 100% of that went outside of this place. Checks are mailed. They are gone to the International Mission Board and to Journey Point Church and to Club 180 and to the Tennessee Baptist Children's Home. It's an awesome thing to be able to send a $21,000 check to the International Mission Board that 100% of that is going to missionaries on the field. It's an awesome thing to be able to bless partners in ministry that we have in Club 180, the partners in ministry we have in Denver, Colorado, Journey Point Church, the partners in ministry we have with Tennessee Baptist Children's Home. Just to let you know, this um, I'm teaching a class online for Union right now, and I only have a few students in there, and one of the first things we do is we always introduce themselves. So tell me about your life, where you are, why you're in school, what you're seeking. And the class I'm teaching in this particular session is for people that are going into or are already in ministry. So one of the guys responded, and his job is that he is one of the leaders at the Millington Boys Ranch of the Tennessee Baptist Children's Home. And one of the things he talked about were the lives that he's been able to see impacted by the ministry of that home. And I couldn't help but think about how the Lord has given us the privilege to be part of supporting them. So we do that twice a year. In the, in the winter, it's for that. In the summer, it's to help kids go to camp. There are very few times in the life of a student or a child that can be more impactful when it comes to their walk with Jesus, either beginning and accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior or extending and developing that relationship than camp in the summer. And we believe in helping to support our kids to make sure that it's affordable for families to send their kids, multiple kids, to invite friends from other from outside the church to go to camp with them. And then mission trips. We do mission trips um, every summer. We're still working on the mission trip for this summer. COVID kind of wrecked a lot of plans for the last couple of years, but we're working through that. And we will go this summer somewhere on mission and hopefully soon and very soon, maybe even this summer, but if not this summer, hopefully in 2023 for sure, we're going to be able to go back internationally. And COVID has put restrictions on that, but we're working through that. So we'll take up that offering. And this church has been more than generous. In those moments, there have been times when we have walked into this place and the news of a disaster that has happened. And there for a while, it seemed like every week there was something. We had the Nashville tornadoes right before COVID hit. And recently, the flooding in Kentucky, the flooding in Waverly, all that has happened, the tornadoes in Kentucky. And you come in, sometimes we would come in and people, there would be funds established or set up that we were able to give through through disaster relief. I don't know many of you remember this, but years ago, when um, not long after Katrina, it was in my first couple of years here, there was another major hurricane going to hit in the same area as Katrina, and they evacuated that area. And they used our gym and other places around the city for evacuees to come and to stay. And disaster relief was here, and we took up a special offering, and all that was needed was provided in that time, and we do that on certain occasions. Sometimes there are unexpected needs that come up. Happened in our church just recently that there were, um, we realized that uh, with the uh, online and the, all the things that are happening with our streaming service right now, but also Sunday school classes on Zoom and the amount of people using Wi-Fi and those things throughout the building, we uh, we saw a need that had to be thing. wasn't in the budget, wasn't something that was scheduled. Brought it before the church. We took up special offering, and we had within a couple of weeks everything we needed to upgrade that Wi-Fi. 
There's a slide right now actually on the announcements. Some of you are like, well, roll the announcements right now with our new password for anybody that wants to use it on our network here at the church because of that. Sometimes we have those kind of needs. Sometimes we have bigger needs, capital needs that we see. And to do the work of the Lord, it's going to require an upgrade to the building or an upgrade to this facility or a new facility or a new place or a a redoing of it. We currently have some work going on in our youth area that has been set up for a while. There's been money set aside for that, raised for that. People gave to that specifically that is working up there. We're doing a lot of the work in-house to save on costs, but it costs money to do those kind of things. And sometimes we call for an extravagant gift outside of your normal ties and offerings for that. We always give a portion, but sometimes we give sacrificially. One of the most dangerous things you can do is ask a pastor, are there any needs we need to address in this way? Because i got a list. There's a list of things that as a church body, as people that we need to address in the years ahead. There's some things that we still need to address that uh, we're still paying from years past. But there are moments when we need to do that. We'll talk about that a little bit more towards the end of the message. But Moses comes to the people and said, this isn't your regular giving. We've already discussed that a few chapters ago. They didn't know there were chapters, but a few days ago, so we talked about this. But this... It's for a specific project. This project was the building of the tabernacle, the furnishing of the tabernacle, the equipping of the people to do the tabernacle, the food that was needed to do all that was going to be done with the tabernacle. And he called for people to bring, and they brought more than they needed. First thing we see in this passage is we always give a portion. Sometimes we sacrifice. The second thing we see in this passage is we always give in response to God's grace. Now, there are a couple of things in this passage that point us to that. First of all, what's the name of the book we're studying? Let me ask that at Queen because three of you knew that. All right. What's the name of the book that we're talking about right now? Exodus, Exodus, right? Exodus. So what happened in Exodus? God delivered the people from slavery in Egypt when they've been crying out for generations and God delivered them. That seems to be something that it would be important to be grateful for. Amen? Right? And so there was the big picture. God has delivered them to create them in an own, in an own nation and he is carrying them to the promised land. This seems like a good time to say, thank you, Lord, for the big picture thing that you have saved me from. Like in our lives, we give in response to the grace of God. The big picture is that God has saved those of us that are believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us that have accepted him as our Savior, we have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And he has delivered us from the bondage of our sin into the freedom of his family. And he has saved us not for a day, not for a year, not for a decade, not for a lifetime, but for eternity. And that seems to be something for which we ought to be eternally grateful for. Amen? So we give out of a gratefulness for the grace of God. But when you read this story, there's something even more immediate that they're grateful for. You see, a couple of chapters before this, Noah had gone up on the mountain to visit with God, and he forgot to turn his GPS locator on, so nobody knew what was going on. Anybody here know of the app called Life360? Yeah. 
Can I get an amen from the parents in the place? I saw some hand, I saw some thumbs down out there from uh, some kids. It tracks your kids wherever they are. I'm glad they didn't have it when I was a teenager, but I'm glad to have it as a parent. It even shows how fast they're driving. No, Moses didn't put his Life 360 app on, all right? He turned location sharing services off. So they know what was going on. He's on the mountain for 40 days. They think he's died. And then they're worried that God had abandoned them because Moses was dead. So what did they do? Y'all, y'all know this story, some of you, right? What did they do? They built a calf, right? They took their gold and they melted it down and they built a calf. And then what did they do for the calf? What did they do to the calf? Worshipped it. And said, we give thanks to this golden calf. Now, don't you think about this. That we just built for delivering us from Egypt. And Moses comes down. Moses was in his feelings a little bit about that. A little upset, a little emotional, right? Sees what's going on. What does Moses do? First of all, he breaks the tablets. It's not good. Calls them out. And the people go, oh, oh. well, here is <laughs> a simple explanation for this. Um, we, we, we just uh, we melted all our stuff down and a cow jumped out of it. And Moses is like, you're nuts. And God's ready to get rid of them. And Moses pleads on their behalf, and God says, okay, I'll forgive them, but here's the covenant. That covenant is announced and begun in the chapter before this. So they have the big picture. God has saved us from slavery in Egypt, and they have the immediate picture that God has delivered us in the last few days. Here's what we give out of our gratefulness for the grace of God, big picture, and for the daily, regular grace that he shows us. In Romans 3.23 when it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The point that it makes there is not that we have sinned in the past and that that is now done with. It basically is a present verb that says, For all are sinning and are falling short of the glory of God. All of us daily make mistakes that for, except for the grace of God, would be worthy of our condemnation. Now, by the way, I want you to notice what they gave. Now, there's lots of things they give, but specifically, I want you to notice verse 22. Men and women came, all who had willing hearts, brought brooches and earrings and necklaces and all kinds of gold jewelry. Now, let me ask you a quick question. Some of you may know the answer to this. It's okay to to tell me, all right? Where did freed slaves get lots of gold jewelry? The Egyptians. How? Because they took it from them because God told them, when you leave, you're going to go and they're going to give you all their stuff. It wasn't because there was anything good about them. God says, you're going to take this. So I think it's interesting that all the gold jewelry, now some of it had been melted down for the cow, okay? But they bring it all as donations to be melted down and forged into and whatever needs to happen in order to make the things that are going to happen for the tabernacle that is there. 
And they weren't online looking at gold exchange rates, trying to figure out how much they were going to get back. They gave it freely. By the way, if you're looking for where God kind of proclaims that and where it happens, it's in Exodus chapter 12. Here's a principle that we get, and this this isn't going to be on the screen, but it's an important one. You can write it down if you're taking notes. Those most in touch with the grace of God give the most generously. Those who recognize how much grace they need from the Lord are the most willing to give and give most freely. Freely. We talked about this at the beginning of this year. We talked about the story of the woman who washes Jesus' feet with her hair. And do you remember that Simon is there and he didn't do anything? Do you remember what Jesus said? Those who are forgiven much love much. What does your giving, your regular, ongoing, commanded giving, and your above and beyond giving, your portion and your sacrifice... What does your giving say about how in touch you are with God's forgiveness? We give in response to the grace of God. Last one here, last point, and then we're done. We give in response to God's calling. I mean that two ways in this passage. First of all, literally it says that their hearts were stirred. As the Spirit directed. Basically, this is looking to the Lord and saying, Lord, I know that you have told me, you have commanded me. Again, we don't need to ask for God's will when he's already given us a verse, a command. I know you're calling me to give a regular portion of what I earn that you have given to me to give back to you. I recognize that, God. What else do you want me to give? What else do you want me to to do. I saw one pastor this week that said one of the things that they do in their church on a regular basis is ask the people in their church to list out their five most materially valuable things they have. And then tell them to ask the Lord, God, are you calling me to do something other than possess this one of these five items. So you think about what are the five most materially valuable things you own? House, car, vacation house, antique of some sort. And then asking the Lord, out of these five things, are you wanting me to do something with one of them for your glory and for your kingdom? So the first way I mean that we give in response to God's calling is that we do need to seek the Lord and ask him, Lord, what are you calling me to give? What are you calling me to do? What are you asking me to do? And the second thing I mean in that is God's calling on our lives to be part of his great work. In this particular instance, They were calling to give money towards the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place, it literally means a meeting place, a place where God would intersect with humanity. When we get to the New Testament, it talks about Jesus coming and living among us. It says he tabernacled among us. His presence was among us. They were giving 
toward the purpose that God had called them to, which was establishing a place where God could meet with his people and to be an example to those nations around them about the glory of God, the one true God, so that those nations might recognize God as the one true God. That was the point of the Exodus to begin with. He talks about those of us that have been reading through again and again. It says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And part of that was because God was showing off that he was the God, the one and only God. And he wanted people to recognize that where it is. In the book of Daniel, again and again, when Daniel sees God do miraculous things, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walk in the fiery furnace, when they survive on the diet that was different than everyone else, when Daniel is in the lion's den, when they come out, the leader of the day will say, surely your God is the God. And the tabernacle was to be the place where the glory of God would be until the temple was built. And he was saying that it is that place that I'm building. Give towards that so that people might see my glory manifested. Well, today, the tabernacle of God, the place where God touches earth, it tells us in Scripture in the New Testament, is no longer a building, but it is a people. It is us. You are the temple of the Lord. Jesus established the church as God's presence, manifest presence on the earth. Jesus established us as the people who would carry God's name into the earth. And we exist on this earth as a church and as believers to glorify God and to lead people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The calling on God in our lives is to worship Him in spirit and in truth, both privately but also corporately. Then we need to provide everything that we need in an environment of a church for people to worship the Lord. It's discipleship. It is learning to walk in the steps of Jesus, to be a learner along the path, to be able to live our lives according to the plans and the purposes that God has called us to. It is fellowship with one another, being God's family, loving one another, being a part of each other's living life together with one another in the highs and the lows and the good and the bad. It is ministering to one another, serving one another in love, giving so that other people can have that have less that aren't able to do. And it is missions. It is carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. And we need the facilities and the staff and the resources and the events and the, the worship time and all the technology that is required for all of that to happen. And sometimes God calls us to give above and beyond the regular offering in order to see those goals accomplished. And not just here, God has called us to be his missions. As Acts 1 8 talk about that we attempt to do as a church in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, not just in this building, but literally as far as we can imagine outside of this building with the glory of God to be spread to people who have not heard or have not yet responded. And as times and societies change, the needs for churches to accomplish those goals and to accomplish God's missions change as it turns and is different than it was before. The mission is the same. The message is the same. But the methods must always be willing to go forth. God has called us to risk it for him. And there are times in our lives that he calls us to do above and beyond more. You're like, Pastor, this sounds like we're about to enter a capital campaign. What's coming down? What's next? Nothing new. Nothing new. 
I'm just telling you, this is how it works biblically. Now, are there places that you can give? Absolutely. As was discussed on our uh, year-end kind of business meeting and budget discussion, when we renovated this project, one of the things that we did is um, we ran into some construction issues and some things that we didn't know were going to happen and needed a little bit more than we had uh, previously gotten from the bank. And so we went and did a kind of an old-school thing where people of the church gave, um, and we are kind of paid back, paid some interest to them along the way, and have paid, paid a lot of those back, but we still have several of those left to pay off. be nice to clear those off the board, and you can give towards that in the building fund, especially above and beyond normal offerings. We still got to do normal offerings, but above and beyond that. Those are due to be paid off sometime this summer, and you can give any time between now and then to help alleviate that. Some of you in this room may be people that, that have those, and Perhaps the Lord's calling you to say that was a great gift at the time and the gift I'm going to give to the church at this point is to just let that go. Some of you may say, well, I wasn't able to give at the time, but I want to give to retire some of that. that that's always there. I told you as a as pastor, I always got a list. We're doing stuff up in the youth area. The, a lot of that has been generously donated. We're going to talk a minute about the other ways you can give, but there's been a lot of time and effort and sweat equity and money that has been invested in that is going to continue to do that. It's going to make a great space for our kids to be able to invite friends and to be up there. It looks much better than it did already, and now it's just a shell of what it was. There may come up things in the midst of that, that you know what, we've got to take care of this. We've got to do that. As I think about trips and camps this summer and I think about our kids going, we, we're going to have to rent stuff for most of those because we don't have a reliable van. And the bus we have, we have, I think, one or two drivers that can drive it right now because of CDL stuff. So either some of you, you're offering above and beyond. Maybe go get your CDL next week and drive kids to camp this summer. And all God's people said, not me. That's what you said. I heard it. That's what I heard. We need new transportation to do those kind of things for our kids. I'd love to have a sign out in front of the church that represents the fact that we are moved into a more contemporary setting than that sign portrays. There's technology upgrades. If you ask Diane, she's got uh, more money than we want to talk about publicly that could happen in this place to just increase everything. We have people watching online right now that sometimes it works brilliantly and sometimes it doesn't. Some of that's technology and other things. And so there are always those things out there. And you may, there may come a time when we say, hey, now it's time to think about this or hey, now it's time to think about that. Or you may have a burden on your heart that you come and say, pastor, I think it's time to do this. I'm sure if you went and talked to Building and Grounds, they would have a list as long or as or longer than my technology list and my idea list. <laughs> That's Bobby Fincher saying, amen me up from the balcony up there. Now here's the thing. I don't want to do anything that God doesn't want us to do. But I don't want the reluctance of his people to obey what he's called us to do to prevent us from doing something he has called us to do. I uh, I don't know how I stumbled across this this week. You know, sometimes uh, when I'm I'm looking at some stuff on YouTube, that they'll throw a weird thing in there. And there was an, 
uh, old uh, skit from Flip Wilson. Now, some of you have no idea who Flip Wilson is. Uh, some of you, how many of you know who Flip Wilson is? All right, there's an old one from Flip Wilson where he was playing, a, I guess on his TV show, he was playing a preacher. And he stood up and he said, church, it's time for this church to move. And to get moving, we're going to have to crawl. We're going to have to crawl first. And the congregation started saying, let it crawl, let it crawl. He goes, and at some point, and doing in the cadence that I will not try to imitate or, my, or do any sort of way, he said, at some point, we're going to have to get up off the floor and begin to stand on our two feet. Let it stand, preacher, let it stand. And then we're going to have to begin to walk forward in what God's called us to do. Let it walk, let it walk. And the hopefully, church, there's going to come a moment when it is time to go, and we're going to have to run. Let it run, preacher. And then he said, and I'm going to tell you what it's going to take for it to run in this place. It's going to take you, all of you, coming together as one and reaching your hand into your pockets and pulling out whatever there and put it into the plate. And the church said, let it crawl, let it crawl. (laughs) Because when you talk about money, you get to the heart. Absolutely, Pastor, all those things need to happen. You You need how much? Here's the thing. God's given us an opportunity to risk it for the sake of the gospel. To be bold and obedient with what he's called us to do. I love the picture here in Exodus 35 because the picture you get when you read the text and you study it is not that people went home and began to go, well, I just, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Like, maybe that or... I mean, let me let me get some books out. Let me do some accounting here. It's just they go home and go, whatever I got, I'm bringing. Whatever I can, I'm going to do. When you get to the New Testament, there's that picture, right, of it says that everyone gave everything they had so that it could be dispersed. They weren't stingy with it. They weren't careful with it. They were free with it because they knew it wasn't theirs to begin with. One church planner says that when we get to heaven, God's going to ask us two questions. What did you do with my son? Did you accept Jesus Christ as my Savior? Now, the answer to the yes is yes to that. He's going to say, what did you do with my stuff? And a lot of times people think, well, he's going to ask us that. I'm going to say, listen, we're good. I protected it. That is not what God wants us to do. I saved it, God. That's not what God wants us to do. How do we know that? Because Jesus told us, right? It's the parable of the talents. In the parable of the talents, three guys are given money, differing amounts of money, to come back and risk it. They invested. They could have lost it, but they didn't. And they gained more. They brought it back. And Jesus doesn't applaud them just for the fact that they made more, but for their ability to risk it to make more. And then the third guy comes back and goes, I knew you were hard, and I buried it over here. Look, I have everything you gave me. And he's mad with him because he buried it in the ground. When you get to heaven, God's not going to be impressed with how much money's left in your 401k. He's not going to be impressed with how well you did in retirement and how much you saved to get there. He's going to ask, how did you steward the money that I gave you for the glory of my name and the sake of my kingdom? The people in Exodus did not calculate how much they were 
could give and still be okay. They just brought what they had. When it comes to following the Lord, we always give a portion, regular, ongoing giving. And sometimes the Lord says, I want you to give more. And our only choice at that moment is obedience or disobedience. And I want to be counted in the court of the obedient. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for examples in Scripture of people who gave sacrificially. The people who willingly gave. Lord, we pray that we will be people. Lord, I just feel like there's this, this spirit in America of protectionism and materialism. And Lord, I think the first church will be shocked at how much we have and think we have to have. And so Lord, we confess to you now that for many of us in this room, our stuff controls us more than we control our stuff. Lord, I pray that we would invest in the things that you've called us to invest in for your kingdom, for the sake of your name. And Lord, that we'd be willing to do whatever it is. We'd simply say yes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.